Hopefully everybody's having a good weekend so far. I know I have been. Glad to see Chuck and Diane. They didn't have any power last night, poor guys. They didn't have power until, uh, what, 5 o'clock this morning? So, you know, it was, a little, it was a little sticky yesterday, but they made it through and they're here this morning. I give you credit for being here this morning when you didn't get power until 5 a.m. You know, yesterday I was at their house for a little bit and uh, they found this little uh, thing of pictures, right? And there were so many great pictures in there. And I seen pictures of McKenna uh, as a baby, uh, Pat, some graduation pictures, Tiffany and Leslie and Sonia. And all. I said, in lieu of a sermon today, maybe we should have a guess who this is, uh, uh, you know, a presentation. You know, who is this picture? Because, man, we all change a little bit from high school, don't we? You know, as, as we grow older, I know I look, I, I know I look a lot, a lot of different, you know, a bit different than I did back in 1994. But, and I know some of you are saying, wow, 94? I wish I graduated in 94. <laughs> that was a great year. That was the year the internet came out. Well, it was good. You guys remember AOL, right? But as we get into today's lesson, though, as we, uh, bring, it, as we bring it back in and, and get serious, Today's lesson is on the parable of the fig tree, and so if we can open up our Bibles to Luke chapter uh, 13, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. We're going to uh, go through uh, this chapter, and we're going to look at these first nine verses. Um, the, really, the, the, the parable really comes to us in verse 6, but I want us to look at the first five verses, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the context of those verses in the uh, verses 1 through 5, so we can really uh, understand this parable better here this morning. Uh, we're going to start to look at more of the parables here uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to start with the fig tree here this morning. And this one really truly is on repentance. It's a call to repentance. And you're going to see that as we go through these verses and as we start to break it down. But in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1, notice what the Bible tells us. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, talking about Jesus, about the Galileans who blood, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all of the Galileans who, uh, because they had suffered this fate? And Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then in verse 4 it says, Or do you suppose that, uh, that, that those, the, uh, those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed, you, they killed them, do you think they were worse culprits? Were they worse sinners than all the men who died in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. There was a man who had a fig tree, and the fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking on the, uh, for fruit on it every single day and never finding any of this fruit. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and not finding any. Cut it down. Why do you even allow it to use up the ground? And he answered and he said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it, until I put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, well, then fantastic. But if it doesn't, cut it down. As we begin to look at the uh, verses 1 through 9 and, and, and what Jesus is going to teach here in this parable, Jesus is teaching us how important it is uh, for us to repent, how important it is for all of us to make changes to our lives in uh, changes to our lives that bring us into the person that God wants us to be. And so we need to make sure that we're willing uh, to make that transformation, right? We're willing, make sure that we're willing to transform our lives according to the very will of God. 
And when we look at humanity, we usually start to find three types of sinners. And the first type of sinner is usually that, that, that individual who either ignores their sin or they become blind to it. You know who that person is, right? Those are usually the people who have lied to themselves for so long that they really can't even really distinguish anymore from truth and what was lie and what was true and because they've been lying to themselves for so long. But then there's also those other individuals that have allowed uh, society's definitions for what right and wrong are to be what guides them in their lives. And so those are the types of sinners that either ignore their sin or they become blind to their sin. And the second type of sinner, it's usually a person who thoroughly enjoys their sin. You guys know anybody who enjoys the sin that they have in their lives, no matter what God word teaches? And so you, you hear feedback from those types of individuals. Well, the Bible never really specifically speaks on this. It never really addresses that particular issue. Jesus himself never really uttered those words that this is sin, even though remembering what the Apostle John said. The Apostle John said in 1 John, in chapter 1, in verse 8 through 10 on the screen behind me, if we say that we have no sin, well, we're deceiving ourselves and, our, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, it says he is faithful. God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and well, then the truth isn't in us. You see, brethren, there's two, those two types of sinners, those first two, one who ignores their sin or is blind to it, or those who thoroughly enjoy their sins. But then there's that third type of sinner. And I would hope to say that third type of sinner is like each and every one of us that are sitting here this morning. Because who here this morning isn't a sinner? Are we still not sinners in need of a Savior? Even though we came out of the baptistry and we were clean for a minute, are we still not save, uh, sinners in need of a Savior? Amen, I would like to hear and so we are sinners in need of a Savior. And I would hope that many of us reflect this third type of sinner. You say because the third type of sinner are those individuals who, become, who, come, who come to detest the sin in their lives. You become to, 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 to just abhor the sin that is in your lives. And these individuals are usually, they get to the point to where they don't want to live with the various sins in their lives. And so they're willing to do anything and everything that God calls them to do in order to transform their lives in a manner that is acceptable in the sight of God. All of us as, as sinners in need of a Savior should hope to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant, be, as our lives come to an end. We want to hear those words from God, knowing that we're all sinners, but knowing that we put God first in our lives. We're willing to transform our lives with the, and transform our minds with the word of God. And we're not willing to, uh, to, to, to hide the sin in our lives, but we're willing to openly confess that sin and openly make the changes necessary. So brethren, these individuals are moved to repentance, and I hope that we are this third type of sinner, the type of sinner that's moved to repentance, uh, meaning that they start to change the way they think change the way they live, remembering what Paul wrote to the people of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, where it says, for follow, is that the one I got up there? Nope, wrong one. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading us till salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So you think about these verses here this morning, you think about what the Apostle Paul, what he's saying to the people of Corinth. And as we consider the parable of the fig tree, remember this little illustration, that no two snowflakes are alike, 
But each of these beautiful crystals, they have at least one thing in common. Each of these beautiful little crystals, these snowflakes, have a little bit of dust inside them. It means they have a little bit of dirt inside them. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that you and I are kind of like those snowflakes. Not in the sense that we use it in our modern day vernacular, but in the sense of the actual snowflake, each of us have a little bit of dirt on the inside of us. Each of us have a little dirt that represents the sin that is in our lives. And there are many things that make us all different from one another, but there is that one commonality, that one common thing that we have, and that is the sin in our lives. We know that we are sinners in need of a Savior because the Apostle Paul said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, brethren, as we set the backdrop for Jesus' teachings, and you look at chapter 13 in, in those first five verses, we see that Jesus uses two different events to show the need for repentance. We see the slaughter of the Galileans that was reported to Jesus in the very first three verses of that chapter in Luke chapter 13. And the background of that slaughter came during the reign of the second, uh, Rome's second emperor, uh, Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius appointed Pilate the fifth governor of Judea, and Pilate was a, was a brutal man who clashed with the Jews regularly. And we're trying to give you the backdrop of this so we can really understand the, the parable of the fig tree. Bless you. And so Pilate was this brutal man, and he, uh, he, he clashed with the Jews regularly, and Galilee was a city that was north of Pilate's jurisdiction, as we learn about in, uh, in um, chapter 23 of the Gospel of Luke. And Galilee was a breeding ground for political zealots, and this breeding ground brought terror uh, upon Pilate's territory often. And there was no love lost between the political zealots and between Pilate and between these, uh, these Galileans. And when some of them visited Judea, Pilate had them slaughtered. And so we see that in verse 2 of, uh, of Luke chapter 13, that Jesus asks the question, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans who suffered this fate? And Jesus tells them no. Jesus says these men were no worse sinners than any of you. And so, brethren, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, but unless you repent of your sins, which is changing your mind and stopping your ungodly behavior, then you too will likewise perish. And then in Revelation, it makes me think Jesus, he's talking about the second death. Because when Jesus says that you too will likewise perish, he's talking about the second death. And in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, the detestable, as for the murderers and for the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And that second death is what Jesus is making reference to. Unless you repent, I will tell you that you will all likewise perish. Jesus is talking about the judgment. So brothers and sisters, there's a reason why when you study out the Gospels and you, see, and you learn about John the Baptist, John the Baptist went around teaching that you need to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we see in Luke chapter 13, in verse 4 and 5, Jesus makes reference to the 18 on whom died when the Tower of Siloam had fallen upon them. And the Tower of Siloam was in Jerusalem, probably part of the, of the city that was near the Pool of Siloam. And these individuals were no more guilty than anyone else living in Jerusalem. And Jesus repeats the statement of verse 3, and we should, be, we should really truly take this as a serious warning. 
Because when Jesus repeat, uh, repeats himself, you might want to pay attention because he's serious about it. Unless there is repentance on a grand scale, he says you will all likewise perish, both Jews as well as Gentiles. Remember what the Apostle Paul, what he had to say and what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31. He tells us, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all men everywhere should do what? They should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, having furnished proof through, uh, having furnished, uh, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Now that we have looked at what is leading up to the parable of the fig tree, it makes it pretty easy to understand this parable, as you see in verses 6 and following. And brethren, it makes it easier because, listen to what it says one more time. Luke 16, 6 through 9 on the screen behind me, Jesus says, There's a man who had a fig tree. And this man who had the fig tree, he, uh, which was planted in his vineyard, he came looking on the fruit, but he could never find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree. Don't let that be lost on you. How long was Jesus' earthly ministry? Three years. Did he come looking for any fruit within the kingdom of uh, Israel? Within the Jewish nation? Was God looking for fruit within the Jewish nation? He says, For three years I have been looking for uh, fruit on this fig tree and not finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? You guys remember something in 8070 that happened to the Jewish nation? Just saying, you could draw some correlations here. And he answered and said to them, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put fertilizer in. If next year, if it bears fruit, great. But if it doesn't, then cut it down. You know, it's important to recognize that when you look at verses 6 through 9 here of the a parable of the fig tree, the owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyard is representative of the Jewish nation as well as Christians who equal, who are basically uh, relate to spiritual Israel, if you will. And so the owner, he comes to, to eat of the fruit of the tree. God comes to his people, Israel, and he desires to see the fruits. He desires to see the, the change in the lives of the people, uh, of, of his chosen people. And he's not seeing that. But God desires to see fruits in the lives of those who call upon his name. And so, brethren, when one gives his life to Christ, God doesn't just uh, ask for repentance. He doesn't just ask for fruitful living. He demands it. And this is something that we have to keep in mind. This is something why we always go back and talk about Romans chapter 2, to learn about how we are supposed to transform our very lives, how our lives are supposed to be a sacrifice that was given unto the Lord. And so, brethren... The barrenness of the fig tree, it talks about, it's representative of the laziness of the Jewish nation. It's representative of the wickedness of the Jewish nation. The vineyard keeper represents the messengers, the prophets that God had sent to his people, Israel, time after time. And think of all of the prophets of old. Think about the various Jewish leaders that were killed over the years. These prophets who were killed when all they did was come to warn God's people, Israel. Warn their brethren of the wrath to come. And that's why Jesus uttered two times in the examples leading up to the fig tree, unless you repent, unless there's repentance on a grand scale, you will all likewise perish. So you can see the theme of, the, uh, of this parable. It's a, it's a, it's a, the theme is repentance. 
In verse 8, it mentions the period of, the period of waiting. And, and that's talking about the, the delay of destroying the tree. God says, why do you even allow it to use up the ground? Cut it down. But the vineyard keeper says, wait, wait. Let us, let, give me one more year. Allow me to fertilize it one more time. If it bears fruit, fantastic. But if it doesn't, then it would be just. It would be right to cut it down. And so reference what God's message is to Israel. God's message to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. It says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, O house of Israel. So brethren, you see what, the, uh, what God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel to his people, Israel. Also reference what God is saying today to, to the Christian church, to the disciples of Jesus Christ in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, brethren, you can see that the remark of the vineyard keeper to the owner in verse 9, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. This represents the judgment. The vineyard keeper uh, is saying that a heavy judgment would be right. It would be just if it came upon the nation of Israel. After God even gives another reprieve, sends another messenger, and that messenger comes in the form of his son, where God manifests himself to the world by putting on flesh, as we learn about in 1 John 1 and 14. And Jesus Christ had come the Son of God, to, to call the nation of Israel unto repentance, to get them to turn away from their wickedness. And so, brethren, remember what John had wrote in John chapter 15 and verse 8. My, God, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and that by bearing much fruit you prove to be my disciples. So what do we learn in the parable of the fig tree? The church... The body of Christ is the vineyard of the Lord. And we, just like the Jews of old, are expected to repent. We're expected to turn away from the evil that is in our lives. Remember what the Apostle Paul had to say to the people of Coloss In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. In whom we have the forgiveness of our sins. Brothers and sisters, as members of the body of Christ, we are not of the world. We are not to be of the world. We are held to a higher standard. Why? Because we have been washed. That means we have been baptized. We have been sanctified. That means we have been set apart. We have been justified. That means we have been made right. And brothers, we have been made these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of a holy and righteous God. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to show the world that there is a better way to live. We need to realize that there is a limit of tolerance that God places. There was a limit of tolerance for the fig tree, and there will be a limit of tolerance for us. God had a limit of tolerance for his, for his people, the Jewish people during the life in the ministry, uh, 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 or during the life of the apostles. And then in AD 70, we see God's judgment finally come upon the people of Israel. 
finally come upon the nation of Israel when God, when the Roman Empire came in uh, through General Titus and basically completely wiped them out and completely destroyed them. And over 1.5 million Jews lost their lives. And so, brethren, we look at this. There is a limit of tolerance that God placed on the nation of Israel. There is a limit of tolerance that he will place on the nation of America, of the United States. And there is a limit of tolerance that God is going to give the world. And so, brothers and sisters, it is time for us to repent of the very sin in our lives. That is what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 through 9. Repentance is a function of the will. It's a function of the will that decides to abandon all sin and diligently pursue the will of God. How often do you diligently pursue the will of God? How often do you evaluate your life to, to, to recognize the sin that may be in your life? And are you, are you willing to do what's necessary to remove that sin from your life? Because understanding sin, it begins with a knowledge of what sin is. And it's a conviction that one is a sinner, that we are all sinners. And that's why I said there's three types of sinners, and I hope that we're that third type of sinner that grows to detest, that abhors the sin that is in your very lives. So that we will make the necessary life changes. We'll turn away from sin, we'll turn away from worldliness, and we'll turn to a, uh, to a loving, holy, and righteous God. Brothers and sisters, true repentance does not ask what price is to be paid. There is no desire to save face. There's no uh, uh, looking for self-justification. True, repentant, true repent, repentance, a repentant person's sin becomes disgusting to them. And they're looking to do whatever it takes to make sure they bring their lives into subjection to God's will. A repentant person is willing to do anything that God requires of them, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, when God's word takes root in your heart, it will produce uh, repentance, it will produce godly sorrow, and not a sor sorrow that is of the world that often leads to death. Brethren, before we close this down, we understand we all make mistakes. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We all sin. But it's what you do with the sin in your life that's going to make all the difference in the world. It's what you do after you make the mistakes, after you sin, that proves whether you truly are disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you enjoy your sin? Do you revel in your sin? Or do you recognize the sin and then you start to make the necessary life changes to turn away from sin? Jesus teaches us not to give up, brethren. Jesus wants us to align our will, or align ourselves with the will of God. Jesus wants us to yoke ourselves to, to him. He wants us to yoke ourselves to God. Because Jesus tells us that he will walk side by side with us. He will share our burdens. He will help us to transform our lives if only we are willing to recognize the sin. And to, and to do the necessary things to remove the sin from our very lives. Friends and family, change is hard, but it is not impossible. Before I close this down, you guys remember uh, King David, don't you? You remember the story of King David who had sinned via adultery. He sinned via murder and drunkenness and a whole litany of other things. He was able, though, to right the ship of his life. God still called him a man after God's own heart because he abandoned the sin that was in his life. 
He, he realized when he was called to the carpet, he realized the sin, he realized the error of his ways, and he started to repent. He cried out to God for forgiveness, and he lived for, uh, for God from that moment forward. Yes, he still had to deal with the consequences of those sins, but he, he was a repentant sinner. He dealt with the consequences, knowing that God, it, 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 it was more important to deal with the consequences... And, and, it, and, and he enjoyed, I take that back, but it made dealing with those consequences easier knowing that God had forgiven him, knowing that God remembers his sins no more. You see, brethren, it tells us that in the book of Hebrews. We learn that in the Old Testament. Why do you go on sinning when God remembers your sin no more? Why do you go on beating yourself up when God has already forgiven you? We learn about the blood of Christ, how it continuously cleanses over us in 1 John. We know that what 1 John tells us in chapter 1, that as long as we uh, continue to walk in the light, as he is in the light, that the blood of Jesus Christ will continuously cleanse us of any and all sin and all unrighteousness. But that begins, that cleansing process begins with Praying to God for forgiveness. It, pray, it, it, it continues with um, reaching out to God uh, and repenting of the sin in your lives and, and aligning your life with the very will of God. So for at the end of the day, I'll leave you with this. Repentance demands reformation. Repentance demands reformation. And this is where the rubber of faith meets the road of reality. So brothers and sisters, a sincere change of mind must always lead to a change of action. A sincere change of mind must always lead to a change in your actions, a change in your mindset, a change in your attitude, a change in your life, a change in your words, your speech, and the things that you say and do. So brothers and sisters, that's the parable of the fig tree. It's a parable on repentance. And Jesus says, unless we repent, unless we turn away from the sin in our lives, we too will perish like those who perished in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them. Like when uh, those who were, uh, were slaughtered, uh, the Galileans that were slaughtered by Pilate, we too will uh, end up with a similar fate. So brethren, as we understand what the scriptures are teaching us, have you repented of your sins? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you uh, uh, started to align your will with the will of God? You see, all you have to do to be entered into the kingdom, all you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then that starts your journey. God picks you up, he puts you in the church, and then you start your journey and you continue to learn as you continue to grow. So brethren, if you're here today and your desire is to put on Christ in baptism, Come forward as we sing the song of invitation.